married cold. So it kind of goes like this. Fellas, year one, your wife gets a cold. Here's kind of how it looks. Baby girl, man, I hear you got a sniffle. I hear you've got a cough. There's no telling what you got with all the things that are going on, all the things that are happening. Here's what I'm going to do for you, sweetie. I'm going to put you in the hospital. They're going to get you a checkup. You rest. You don't worry about the house. I'm going to take care of everything. And baby, listen, I know the hospital food is not a quality. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go buy uh, Panera Bread. I'm going to go buy Olive Garden. I'm going to go buy and get you your favorite meal. And then I'm going to bring all of that to you. Baby girl, I love you. Don't worry about it. Come on, all the ladies in the house said, you missed your moment. Year two. Baby, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called the doctor. He's going to come by the house. He's going to make a personal visit. You just go to bed. It's going to be okay. Year three. Baby, you might want to go lie down because... You look like you need a little rest. Look like you're feeling lousy. Hey, I'm going to bring you something. Do we have any canned soup? (laughs) Year four. Now, baby girl, you need to be sensible here. After you've fed the kids and washed the dishes and vacuumed the floor, then you can go lay down. Year five. Baby, I'm going out with the guys. If you need anything, call me. Year six. Woman, if you would just gargle or something instead of standing around barking like some animal. Year seven. For Pete's sake, girl, would you stop sneezing? Are you trying to give me pneumonia? Come on, how many married couples understand what I'm talking about in the house today? Come on, you know what that's called? Read the screen. That's called the drift. That's called the drift, the drift, the drifts. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about what do I do when I find myself drifting from God? What do I do in those moments? Because let me ask you something. Have you ever took a moment to just kind of evaluate your life, look at where you are, look at the steps you've taken in your life, look at everything that is you, and ask yourself a question, how did I get here? How did I let things get like this in my life? Maybe it's an addiction and you never saw yourself addicted to anything, but now you find yourself in bondage to something and you're asking yourself the question, how did I get here? Maybe it's loneliness, maybe it's brokenness, maybe there's distance in your marriage. Maybe it's even in your relationship with God. You're, you're looking at your life. And, and listen, if there was a time where you can look back in your life and you could notice, you know what? My relationship with God was hotter at this point. Maybe I was in the Word. I was praying. I was in the house. But now you find yourself in a place where there's just kind of staleness. At one time there was freshness, at one time there was life, and it was great, and it was fun, but now there's just this staleness there. You know what that's called? That's called the drift. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may what? Drift away from it. We may drift away from it. The word drift there in the Greek, it means to miss something, to to let something slip, to just glide by. And so he says, hey, if, if you listen carefully to the truth, you need to hold on to it or you'll drift away from it. So again, I want to ask you a question. 
Has there ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are now? And for some of you here today, let's just be honest, you're like, no. I mean, man, God and I are all right. It's good. It's wonderful. New year, new you, boo. Amen. Everything's great. We're on cloud nine. And listen, if that's you, then I want you to file this message away and use it as a tool for ministering to others. But if you answer yes to the question, if you answered yes, Pastor, there was a time where my relationship with God was hot and it was fresh and it was amazing, but now there's the staleness. Here's what I'll talk to you about today. How do you get back to that place of renewal? How do you get back to that freshness? How do you get back to the place where you're excited about your relationship with God? And so what I want to do today is I want to give you the ABCs of renewal. Come on, how many of you remember the ABCs? One, two, three. Come on, anybody remember that? I want to give you the ABCs of renewal. Here's kind of how you get back to that freshness, how you get back to that place with God where there's excitement. And here's the first thing you've got to do. Letter A, you've got to acknowledge the cause of the drift. You've got to acknowledge that. There's a cause there. And you understand that in life, drifting comes easy. It comes easy. You, you drift in a relationship. You drift with your spouse. You drift with your kids. You, you drift with God. Drifting comes easy, but the fact remains every effect has a cause. There's a cause for it. And so, you know, how do you go from staleness to renewal? You've got to go to the cause of the problem. And the good news is that the Bible lays out for us a story of one of Jesus' own disciples who was a guy who went through the cycle. He went through the process of drifting from God, but then he found renewal and came back to God. And the story is found in Mark chapter 14. That's where we'll spend most of our time today. Mark chapter 14. And as you're turning there or clicking there on your mobile device, let me give you a little context for the story Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. It's the last store, it's the last meal, last supper, if you will. And he's kind of giving them a warning of things that are coming up. The crucifixion, the trial, crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection, all of this. He's telling them all of this. And it's against that backdrop that Mark actually gives us the story of a guy named Peter. Come on, how many of you ever heard of Peter in the Bible? So when you look at the life of Peter, you're going to notice six steps that led him to drift away from God. The interesting thing is, these are the same steps that you and I go through when we drift in our own relationship. And so what does that look like? Here's step number one. When you start drifting, it always begins with overconfidence. Overconfidence. So you picture the, the dinner time is ending and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. And notice what he says to them in Mark chapter 14 verse 27. He says, guys, listen, all of you will desert me, Jesus told them. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, look guys, there, there's going to come a time where some soldiers are going to come in. They're going to arrest me. They're going to drag me off. And all of you guys are going to go away. But watch what Peter says, verse 29. If everyone else deserts you, I never will. Lord, I'm your man. I'm your guy. There's no way this can happen to me. There's no way. Lord, everybody else is going to leave you, but I'm the guy. I'm going to be right with you. 
What Peter didn't understand is when he spoke those words, he took a huge step towards drifting. It'll happen to them, but not me, Lord. It'll happen to everybody else, but not me. Everybody else may walk away from God's house. Everybody else may stop serving God, but not me, Lord. I'm your guy. But watch what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says. If you think you are strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you're strong, be careful not to fall. And what happens in life is we get overconfident in our relationships. Overconfident in our marriage. Overconfident with our friends. Overconfident with our kids. Overconfident with God. And when you get to the place where you're overconfident, it leads you to step two in the drift. And that's carelessness. Carelessness. I mean, listen, we all start off developing these habits that make our relationships what they are. I mean, come on, how many of you remember when you were in love? Mm. Come on, we just did the seven steps of a married code and you guys were laughing and excited. How many of you remember when you were just in love? You remember how you used to date that girl and court her and leave those nice little letters and all of that? Listen, When you develop these habits, that's what makes the relationship strong. But over a course of time, because of overconfidence, we become careless. Happens in the marriage, happens in friendships, happens in our relationship with God. When we first came to God, there was a love, there was a spark, it was great. We were reading the word, we were coming to the house, we were praying. And it wasn't just once in a while, this was a daily routine. But listen, the moment you stop doing those things... You start drifting. And a lot of times we don't even realize that we get so careless with things. We don't even realize we're actually starving our spirit. We're starving our soul. If we don't take time to get into the word. If we don't take time to come to God's house. If we don't take time to pray. We're starving ourselves. And this is what happened to Peter. He got careless. Jesus had his disciples. They're leaving the upper room, last supper, they're going to the garden. Watch what happens. Jesus posts eight disciples at the edge of the garden. He takes three, which was his inner circle, which Peter was one of, and takes them into the middle of the garden. And then Jesus goes a little further because he knows the weight of what's getting ready to happen. So he's praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he comes back only to find the three of his inner circle asleep. Watch what he says, verse 37 and 39. He singles out one guy. Who is he? He said, Simon. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Peter. Are you asleep? Could you not watch with me even one hour? Watch what he says. Keep watch and pray. So that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Here are the inner circle, the three guys. Jesus is like, hey, I need you to stay up. I need you to keep praying. There's a lot of stuff about to happen. He just told them everything was going to happen. And they fall asleep. But let's not be too hard on the guys. I mean, actually, they had just eat a big meal like T-bone steak. Come on, baked potato. A little broccoli because, you know, you got to have some green. Amen. So they just had that big meal. It's late. It's dark. It's quiet in the garden. They fall asleep. But that just serves to illustrate a point that getting careless in life is the natural thing to do. Listen, the right thing is rarely the easy thing. 
It's like you come into 2021 and, you know, you ate a little bit too much in Thanksgiving. You ate way too much in Christmas and you got all them cookies and all that sweets. And so, you know what? I'm going to the gym. Amen. New year, new me. I'm going to the gym, going to shed some pounds. So you start exercising. Three weeks into that thing, you realize this is hard work. It's a whole lot easier to go home, sit in your recliner with a sun drop and a Twinkie in Jesus' name. Does anybody feel me right there? It's a whole lot easier to do that than it is to actually go and work out and run. Come on. The Bible says exercise profited the body little. I ain't doing all that. But listen, it's easy to do the wrong thing. It's hard to do the right thing. And if you want to keep that relationship strong and, and, and fresh and powerful, then you've got to be intentional about this. And that's why Jesus told his disciples, guys, keep watching, pray. Like, don't fall asleep. Because the moment you get careless, the moment you start falling asleep in life, temptation will come against you and overpower you. And before you know it, you start drifting into the third step. And that is you start fearing what people think. You have a fear of what people think. I mean, get this. After the prayer there, Jesus comes to the disciples. And, and, and now here's all these soldiers. They come in. They arrest Jesus. They take him on some illegal, unjust trials. And, and the Bible says, Peter. Remember Peter, the guy that said, not me. Never happened to me. I'm your man. The Bible says Peter does follow. He follows Jesus. He wanted to see what was going on. But I want you to look at how he followed Jesus. Verse 54, watch what it says. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at what? A distance. Come on, Peter. I'm your guy. It'll never happen to me. You understand when Jesus was out there on the preaching circuit, he was drawing crowds so large they didn't even count them. They just said multitudes. He's drawing the crowds. He's healing people. He's delivering people, raising the dead. Where's Peter? He's right beside Jesus because it was popular. But now the relationship might cost him something, and Peter's doing this. He's following at a distance. Hear me today. One sure sign that you are drifting from God is when you become embarrassed or even ashamed of your faith. Man, I'm not doing that. Man, I'm not bowing my head and praying. i got all my coworkers around me. There's no way I'm doing that. There's no way I'm going to confront that thing even though I know it's wrong. There's no way I'm going to stand up for what's right in a world that tells me that everything that I believe is wrong. There's no way I'm doing that. There's no way I'm going to confront sin. There's no way I'm going to confront someone, especially a coworker, if they say something or tell a joke. And I know it's against what I believe. I'm not doing that. I'm going to follow Jesus but I'm going to follow him from a distance. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says this. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. Jesus said it more directly in Mark chapter 8 verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days. The son of man will be ashamed of that person. When he returns in glory of his father with the holy angels. Do you understand there's no such thing as a secret agent Christian? Come on. 
dun, 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 dun. You know, you got the coat, you got the glasses, dun, 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 dun. Hey, I'm a Christian. Shh, don't tell anybody. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, I'm a Christian. Shh, don't tell anybody. You understand that's not real. There's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. And the moment you go down that road, you need to be careful because you find yourself taking a huge step in drifting from God. And so one of the challenges that I want to give you today is to simply ask yourself a question, examine your life, and ask yourself how many of your unsaved friends know about your faith. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go around and beat people over the head or walk around with a sandwich, you know, one of those sandwich boys, turn or burn, baby. I'm not saying you got to do all that. That's not where I'm going from, not what I'm saying. But there ought to be something that distinguishes you from everybody else. There ought to be something about your life that is different than everybody else's. So how many people know about your faith? Because if you're not careful, when you start fear, having that fear of what people think, it leads you to the fourth step in the drift, and that's sinful pleasures. Peter followed at a distance. And watch this. When he got to the destination, he found himself sitting with the very soldiers that arrested Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 54 it says, there he sat. It's talking about Peter here. There he sat with the guards. What was he doing? Warming himself by the fire. He was with the very guy. Jesus is inside. He's on trial of his life. And here is Peter. He's out there with the enemy, warming himself by the fire. Isn't that hard to believe? This was the guy three and a half years. The inner circle. And not a matter of days. Not a matter of hours or I mean months, but in a matter of hours, Peter found himself drifting. He was drifting. And let's just be real, it, it happens to all of us, right? I mean, we, we, we've tasted of what God offers. We've tasted of the love and the grace and the goodness. And he sets us free from the habits and these destructive patterns. And, and, and it's great and it's wonderful. But because of overconfidence, because of carelessness, because of fear, we find ourselves drawn back into the same sins that trapped us before. Can I give you a little bit of a warning right here? Warning. I want you to hear my heart. If you try to enjoy the world's campfire, you're going to get burned. If you try to enjoy the world's campfire, you are going to get burned. You understand there's no real joy there. There's no real peace there. There's no real satisfaction there. And don't misunderstand me. Sin is fun. I mean, it's fun. If it wasn't fun, nobody would go to it. It's fun, but here's what you need to understand about getting your kicks. With your kicks come kickbacks. Moses figured that out 3,500 years ago. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, here's what he said. It says, it's talking about Moses. He chose to share the oppression of God's people and instead of enjoying, enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Read that again. Kind of messed that up. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Because he knew with the kicks come kickbacks. 
And here's what you got to ask yourself. If you find yourself in need of peace and you're going to a bottle, you're going to a pill, you're going to anything else other than the prince of peace, beware you're on a downward spot. If you're in need of advice, and instead of going to God's word, you're going to go to somebody that don't know the first thing about Jesus. If you've got trouble in your marriage, and you're going to somebody that's been married like 12 times. If you are in trouble with your finances, and you're going seeking advice from somebody broke like no joke. Come on, are you with me? Listen, if you go to anybody other than God in his word, to find that you're on a downward spiral, and hear me today... It leads to the fifth step in the drift, and that is denial. Denial. Look at verse 66 through 69. Again, Peter's out there. He's warming himself by the fire. And one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, Hey, you're one of those guys. You're one. With Jesus of Nazareth. But what did Peter do? He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. This did, just then the rooster crowed. Servant girl saw him standing there and began to tell other people, Hey, that guy, look, he's definitely one of them. He's one of them. It goes on in verse 70 for sake of time. We find that Peter denies Christ the second time. How many of you know how hard to believe this is? In a matter of hours, folks, not days, in a matter of hours, Peter, right beside Jesus, nobody else, Lord, they can all turn away, but not me. I'm your guy. He was with Jesus for three and a half years. He traveled with him. He lived with him. He worked with him. He heard the teachings. He saw the life. He witnessed the miracles. Could not possibly deny that he's a follower. But the truth is... If you get your warmth from the enemy's fire, denial is right around the corner. And then it leads you to the sixth and final step of the drift, and that is open rebellion. Open rebellion. See, now she's called him out. He's denied Christ twice. And now they're starting to point out, wait a minute, man. Yeah, you're one of them. Your accent, you're, you're different. Remember, I told you when you're a Christian, there's something different about you. Yeah, you're different. You're one of them. I know it's you. And Peter starts swearing and cussing. Verse 71, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man you're talking about. Turn to somebody and say, wow. Are you kidding me? I'm your man. Never me, Lord. Hours later, I'm like, where are you at? I don't know him. I don't know him. Verse 72, immediately, not later, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And when that happened, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three Times and Peter broke down and wept. I want you to hear me, guys. Hear my heart today. If you recognize yourself on any step of this journey, whether it's overconfidence, whether it's carelessness, whether it's fear of man, whether it's warming by the enemy's fire, whether it's denial or open rebellion, I beg of you as your pastor, stop what you're doing, confess and repent and turn back to God. 
The pastor says, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how far I've fallen. You don't understand where I'm at. There's no way God could love me. There's no way God could care about me. But again, let's go back to the ABCs because we were just at letter A. Acknowledge to call. Here's the letter B. You've got to believe that God still loves you. Believe God still loves you. Too many people today feel like God is sitting in heaven with a big stick waiting on you to mess up so he can bop you over the head. Too many people feel like that. But here's the truth about God. Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Matter of fact, let me give you two truths about God's love very quickly. Here's the first one. You've got to realize God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. There's no conditions attached to his love. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us. Why? Not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. You understand that God loves you and you can't do enough good deeds to earn God's love and you can't do enough bad deeds to forfeit God's love. God loves you just because he loves you. God is love. It's who he is. And I know, guys, that's hard for us to grasp because our love is conditional, right? Like, I'm going to love you as long as you're kind you know, as long as you do this for me, as long as you do that for me. But what happens when they don't do anything? God said, I love you because I love you. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. God's compassion. When does it end? Come on, say that again like you mean it. God's compassion never ends. It's ongoing. Which leads me to the second truth about God's love. His love is unconditional. But I also have to realize my sins have already been paid for. They've already been paid for. It's already done. It's paid for. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. When Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins. I love this verbiage here. He solved the sin problem for good. He solved the sin problem for good. Not only ours, but the whole world. How did God solve the sin problem? Here's what you have to understand. God loves us and he wants to be in relationship with us, but he's holy and we're not. And I know some of you think you glow in the dark at night because you're so holy, but you're not. Amen? Come on. He's holy and we're not. So justice requires that him not turn a blind eye to our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Justice requires him not to overlook that. So somebody did the time. Somebody has to do the crime. Who did the crime? Jesus. How did he do it? By nailing himself to the cross. Colossians 2.14. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by how? Nailing it to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. So stop nailing yourself to the cross. Turn to somebody and say, that was good. I saw y'all like running laps. That was good. My sin is paid for completely because of what Christ did for me. So how do I get back to renewal? Acknowledge the cause of the drift. Believe that God loves me and he wants me back. But here's the letter C. Commit to do your first works again. A, B, C. Commit to do... Your first works again. And it's interesting because there's 
an entire church in the book of Revelations that God spoke this into. Revelations chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Here's what God said. He says, I've got this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And then watch what he says. Look how far you have fallen. The solution to that, read on further, would be God saying, turn back to me again and do what you did at first. When you first fell in love with God, man, you were reading the Word. You were getting Bible apps. You were on a Bible plan. Man, you were even fasting in Jesus' name. Come on, like missing a meal for Jesus. That's high. You were doing all of that. You were getting in this relationship with God. You were falling in love with Him. But somewhere along the journey. Oh, man, I've heard that song before. Man, I've seen that before. I've heard that message before. I, I did that before. I just don't love you like I used to love you. All of these things coming in. All of these things happening. And I have to look at my own life and, and I see seasons in my life where, where I'm drifting. And I know it. I can sense it. You can sense it. Why? Because God is almost like he's got a rope in heaven and he's pulling on you. He's saying, hey, come back. Come back. You're losing the fire. At one time you were blazing, but now you just kind of got a little, little, little flame here. You're losing it. Come back. And what do I have to do in those times? I have to get back into those habits that are not easy. Back to getting up early in the morning. Back to getting in the prayer closet. Back to reading the word. Back to praying. Back to fasting. Back to coming into the house. I got to get back into all of these things again. Because if not, I'm going to get arrogant. I'm going to get careless. I'm going to start falling. Little by little. I'm going to start worrying about what people are thinking. And I don't know. Probably shouldn't have said that. Probably shouldn't have preached that. It's a little bit too hard. Start worrying about that. Then comes in. And then you got the denial. You got the open rebellion. But when I go back to the habits to establish them. When I go back to the heart of worship. When I go back to that place where I met with God and I sensed His presence and and I would open His Word and salty tears would run down my face looking at His promises for my life. When I go back to those moments, there's a freshness that wells up in me. And I can't describe it. I, I can't put my finger on it. All I can tell you is the staleness begins to leave and the freshness begins to come find myself on the ABCs to renewal. What about Peter? I mean, you know, we, we were talking about Peter. We, we left Peter. He's, he's weeping. He's, he's messed up in a matter of hours. I'm your man. I'll never leave you. Lord, everybody else, not me. And here he is, and he's denied Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And he went to cussing people out. I mean, that's pretty far gone. What happens now? If you go to John chapter 21, 
sake of time, let me kind of set this stage for you. Jesus is on the shore. The disciples are there. Jesus singles out Peter. He says, hey, Peter, I just need to know, between me and you, buddy, hey, we're, we're here. You still love me? In that moment, Peter broke. Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, hey, Peter, again, I, 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 I need to ask you again. You love me? Lord, you know I love you. Hey, Peter, I need to ask you a third time. Remember, you deny me. I, I, I got to ask you again. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. You know what he said? Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. You know what Jesus was saying? Hey, all that stuff you did, the repentance came in. Let's get some freshness back in your life. There's still an assignment attached to you. There's still something I've got for you to do that only you can do, Peter. Hey, go feed my sheep. And here's Peter. He's leading the prayer meeting in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter steps out of the upper room, preaches one time. And the New Testament church is birthed. Peter would go on to write two books in the New Testament about how to live our lives in light of this love that we have for God and the love that he has for us. If you want to live with that freshness and that awareness of God's presence, you've got to heed the warning that's found in Hebrews 3.15. Turn to somebody and say, now. Come on, say it like you mean it. Now. But now is the time. Never forget the what? The warning, which means, hey, ding, 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 red light. Never forget the warning. Today, if you hear God's voice speaking to you, do not harden your heart. The good news for all of us here today, if we will call upon Him, there's something that he does for us. It's found in Jeremiah 15, 19. It's a promise. You might want to write this down. I know I've cued you with notes today. Which is why a great thing to do is get on the bridge app. All of my notes are right there up under Smithfield. You don't have to write a thing. It's right there. Jeremiah 15, 19. What does God say? If you return to me. What does he say? I'm going to hit you with a stick. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to make you go through a whole lot of stuff. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. You've got to return to me. So stand with me all over the house. Let's go back to the question from the beginning. Has there ever been a time in your life where you did a little bit of an assessment, you did a little self-check, if you will? Has there ever been a time in your life where you found yourself closer to God than you are now? If so, with every bit of love in me, I've got to be honest with you, you've drifted. You've drifted. But the drift does not mean the end. 
is God said, hey, if you'll come back to me. Hey, Peter, do you love me? If you'll come back to me, there's still a plan. There's still a purpose. There's still a destiny. There's still something I've got attached to your life. If you come back to me, I'll restore you. I'll put the freshness back in you again. I'll I'll replace, Ezekiel says, replace the stony heart with a new heart. Give you a new heart, fresh start. Come on, new heart, fresh start. God said, I'll give that to you. But you got to turn back. So where are you at on the journey, guys? Is everything good? You great? Prayer life good? Worshiping God? Sensing His presence? Man, that's awesome. File this message away. Go on podcast, download it, file it away. You're going to need it. But if you come in here this morning and said, man, pastor, I'm about over you, brother. Because you just read my mail. You've been walking all over my toes. And I didn't even wear steel toes today. If that's you, man, God's message to you is come back. back to get that fresh start a new heart. Come back to get that love flowing again. Come back to the place where when you wake up in the morning, your first desire is not to get on social media. It's not to get on Facebook. It's not to get on YouTube. And all. Your first desire is God, I want to get in your presence. Come back to that place. Because God's got it for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for moments like this. Thank you. Lord, we're coming back to that place of freshness and renewal just to hear from you. God, it's been too long. It's been too long. I need to hear your voice. I need to sense your presence, God need to come back to that place Lord that place where I just desire you that place where I just want to be in your presence that place where God my whole life is centered around not what I want but centered around what you want help me to get back to that place some of you you've come in here this morning and you're here and, and you've never made the commitment you've never made the commitment It's not about being close to God and drifting. It's it's about just simply coming to God. And for some of you, that may be where you're at. And so for you this morning, you have a golden opportunity right now that will change your life forever if you would just simply say, Father, I love you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. God, I need you. So if you're in the house today and you've never stepped out and made that commitment, I want to give you an opportunity right now. There's nobody looking around. Guys, it's just me and you. It's just me and you right now in this moment. And I'm wondering, where are you at? Do you want to step out today? Do you want to take the opportunity to say, man, I'm coming to God. My life will be changed today. If that describes you and you mean business with God, he means business with you. Could you just simply slip a hand and say, that's me, Pastor. That's me. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to receive him into my heart and into my life. 
Maybe you're in here today and maybe you find yourself on the slippery slope of the drift. You find yourself on that slope. You say, Pastor, man, I want to come back. You know what God says? Return unto me and I'll restore you. So if you're in here today and you're speaking that and you say, you know what? There has been times in my life where I was closer to God than I am right now. I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Seize the hands. Pray for me. Seize the hands. Pray for me. Pray for me. Now look at me. Come on, look at me. We're going to sing this song together as an act of worship. Listen, ain't no name getting in no rush. You know what they do at a buffet bar? They got heat lamps, baby. It's still going to be hot. Ain't no need rushing. But if you do have to go, I understand. But let's just sing this for a moment. Let's, let's get into that place of worship. Lord, this is the air that I breathe. It's you. So come on, guys. Let's sing that together right now. Let's sing it and just worship Him. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence, living in me. This is my daily bread. my daily bread your very word spoken to me oh I'm desperate for Again, Lord, just for the privilege of being in your house. Thank you, God, for never giving up on us. Lord, people have given up on us. Father, some of us have even given up on ourselves. But God, not one time have you given up on us. And your promises are still true today. Return to me and I'll restore you. I'll put in motion that plan, that purpose for your life that has been from the beginning. And so, Father, right now, you saw the hands raised. You know our hearts. You know where we are with you. 
And Father, my prayer today, Lord, is that we would just simply come into your presence. Turn our hearts, turn our lives back over to you. Lord, sense you in a greater way than ever before. In Jesus' name, and everybody in the house said amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise all over the house. And thank you.